If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 4 this morning. Exodus chapter 4. We will, we will be uh, in verse 1. We're going to go through uh, verse 17, okay? Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe you that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for your word. Um, Father, help us to see today that that once we've been shown mercy and saved and redeemed, you give us a mission. And Father, you want obedience that's rooted in faith. So today I pray that you help us to see those areas of our lives where you've called us to be obedient and where we're not, and that we would repent of those things and that we would turn back to you. Uh, Father, help us to above all see that Jesus was perfectly obedient to your will, that although we, like Moses, stumble and bumble um, and delay our obedience at, at times, Jesus never did, and so he was perfect in our place, and so I pray that we would make much ultimately of what he's done for us through the gospel. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we've been looking at in chapter 3, we, we see where, where Moses has been shown mercy by the great I am. That God has said, hey Moses, you're a murderer. You're, you're a failed leader. But I've chosen you. I have saved you. I've redeemed you. And now I have a plan for you to go back to Egypt and to get my people. And, and the principle we said last week is this, is that the saved are always sent. That grace never terminates just on us, but it then pushes you and I out to other people, right? Years later, from where Moses is, Moses is on the mountain, and years later, we see this same principle applied to the disciples. The disciples are standing on a mountain, and instead of seeing the glory of God reflected in a bush, they see the glory of God reflected in the risen Jesus Christ. 
They see the nails, uh, the nail marks in Jesus' hands showing that he paid for them, that he redeemed them. And then Jesus tells the disciples and he tells us that we are now to go on to a mission. That he's sending us into the world to baptize people in his name, to make disciples. And then the good news is, is he tells us, just like Moses, that I will be with you through all of this, even to the end of the age. But one of the things we said last week was that we all like mercy, but we don't want the mission. So we want the blessing of salvation, but we don't want the burden of ministry. So what do we do? We do the exact same thing that Moses does, don't we? We make objections to being sent out. And throughout chapter 3 and 4, Moses raises five objections. Now we've looked at the first two in chapter 3. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 11, the first objection is Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I mean, who am I, God? Remember, at this time, Moses is 80 years old. So 40 years earlier, he had been a brash young man. He'd been educated in all the knowledge of Egypt. He tries to start a revolution to free his people by killing a man. And then when he turns around to start the revolution, the people go, who are you, man? We don't want any part of your revolution. And in chapter 3, in verse 11, he is 80 years old. And by this point, he's humbled, he's broken. He's a man who at his age now understands his limitations. And I love it because God never once tries to build up his self-esteem or give him a pep talk about how amazing he is. Instead, he says, hey, yeah, I know exactly who you are, Moses. It'll be okay. I'll be with you. That's all you need to know. I got this. His second objection is found in verse 13 of chapter 3. He says, what if the people ask who you are? What, what do I tell them? And God responds by saying, I am who I am. Or I be who I be. I'm the self-defining God. I'm defined by no one. I'm the God of the past. I'm the God of the present. And I will be the God of the future. That's who I am. I have sent you. Now Moses, quit objecting and go. But Moses is way too much like you and I, isn't he? He's reluctant to go. And so what he does in chapter 3 is he's going to raise three more objections. And what I want you to see is that our God is a patient God. He is a God who is going to very patiently and graciously answer all three of Moses' objections. Chapter 4 is all about obedience rooted in faith. Now we don't like that word obedience. I don't like it. You don't like it. Okay? If you're raising small children, they definitely don't like that word. Moses doesn't like it. See, what happens when the Lord asks us for something? What happens when the Lord comes to us? And if you're a believer, he will do this. He will say, hey, take this step. I mean, yeah, sure, it's risky. Sure, it's dangerous. Sure, I know it doesn't make sense. But I've revealed this to you by my word, and I want you to be obedient to what I've commanded you. What happens? We get all kinds of nervous, don't we? Palms get sweaty, right? We try to justify our, our disobedience. We try to make up excuses for why we can't do it. And this is exactly what Moses does in these next three objections. And as I've already said, what we see is that God is gracious with us. And what he does every time is he removes our excuses and he turns our focus away from ourselves to him. See, every single time we object to God, God says, you're asking the wrong questions. You're thinking about how yourself and about your inadequacy and your smallness and your weakness compared to what I'm asking you to do. And guess what? You are small 
You are weak. You are inadequate compared to what I'm asking you to do. You're spending your time asking, who am I, when we ought to be asking, who's with me? So as we look at this text today, I want you to ask yourselves, in what areas of our lives, of your life, has God called us to something where we're guilty of just navel-gazing and looking at all the ways that we're inadequate and fail instead of looking up and realizing who's with us? So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will be become blood on the dry ground. Okay, so here's his third objection. What if they don't believe me? I mean, what if you send me back, God, and they don't listen to my voice, and they don't believe a thing I have to say? And hear me, Moses is guilty of the thing that we're all guilty of at some point of our lives, right? Especially those of us who have grown up and lived our lives in the same small town, okay? Here's what it is. He's using his past as a justification to not be obedient in the present. They won't listen to me, God. I mean, come on. They know who I am. They know what I've done. They remember my past. They know my background. They know what I used to be like. They're not going to listen to me. I mean, if I tried to do this, God, they would just look at me, they would laugh, and they'd be like, well, you're a hypocrite. Remember when you used to do this very thing? They aren't going to believe me, God. This this isn't going to work. But once again, notice what God does. God doesn't speak to his low self-esteem. God doesn't go, now Moses, don't think of yourself like that. Moses, you're one of the smartest guys I know. What are you talking about? God doesn't focus on his low self-esteem. Matt Chandler says, the more you focus on your self-esteem, the lower it will plummet. Right? Some of us need to get that. When we spend time worrying about our self-esteem all day, it doesn't do anything but bring it down, down, down. God gives him what he needs. A picture of God that transcends his low self-esteem. Moses is saying, God's saying, quit looking at yourself and look up to me. So God does three miracles. And these three miracles are designed to point to God. They're not designed to point to Moses. Not to the messenger, but to the God who speaks by the messenger. So God says, hey Moses, what's what's that in your, your hand there? It's a staff. Okay, throw it on the ground. Moses does and immediately becomes a snake. And we know it's a poisonous one because what does Moses do? It says he runs from it. Which, listen, that is the appropriate response to any snake. I don't care if it's a garter snake that big, you run from the thing, okay? Yeah, right? Yeah, preach. A couple, uh, couple of years ago, we were having a Bible study up here on a Wednesday night. 
Uh, it was in the middle of the summer, and I, I, was in, I was running late, so I ran out of the house, got in the car, and I drove up here to teach the Bible study. Well, as we're kind of wrapping things up, Mariah texted me. Well, there was a rattlesnake that was curled up right by our garage where I ran by. Okay, we, we think somebody had brought some dirt in, and that little booger worked his way in, and he was trying to get cool because it was like 110, you know, in the middle of the summer. And so I wasn't there, and so Mariah calls Wheeler Hammett, and he comes over and he kills the snake, which I always tell everybody this. Even if I was home, I'd have called Wheeler. I ain't getting anywhere near that thing, okay? That is the proper response. So he runs away. Then God does something crazy. He says, hey, pick it up by the tail. Everyone knows, even Moses knows, that's not how you pick up a snake. First off, you don't pick up a snake. That's gross. But secondly, that's not how you do it. If you're going to pick up a snake, you come in behind it and you get it behind the head so that thing can't turn around and bite you. But Moses obeys. And when he reaches down and he grabs it by the tail, it becomes a staff. Now God's teaching Moses here. The rule, the, the, the symbol of Pharaoh's rule was a cobra. Every single Pharaoh had it on their crown. This is God's way of saying, hey, Pharaoh isn't the real king, man. Right? You don't have anything to be worried about. I'm the Lord, I reign, and I have the power over the serpent. I have the power over Pharaoh. All right? It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. Then next, God says, hey, put your hand in, inside your cloak. And so he does, and he pulls it out, and all of a sudden, it's covered in leprosy. If you know anything about ancient history, leprosy was a scourge. It was the thing that they were the most fearful of. Right? Leprosy was a killer. Right? It would be like our day and age, if somebody walks in, it gets quiet in here, they sneeze, and as soon as they're done sneezing, they go, oh, hey, I got coronavirus. We would all be freaking out and running for the doors. That's what would happen. That's what leprosy was like. Right? And so God says, hey, put it back in your cloak. He does, he pulls it out, and this time, it's normal again. Once again, he's teaching Moses, hey, the Egyptians, for all their power, for all their achievements, for all their military might, for everything that they have going for them, guess what? They still can't cure this disease. And guess what? I just did it in seconds. And then the third miracle. God says that they don't believe these two, fill up a jar with water from the Nile and dump it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. Right? The Egyptians worshiped the Nile. Every year, the Nile, and it still does, it overflows. And when it does, it brings 30 feet of black, fertile soil into the middle of the desert. So oftentimes, whenever there was, uh, there was famines in the ancient world, most of the time, the Egyptians were immune to that because of what the Nile did, right? And so God's saying, listen, they worship the Nile. The Nile is powerful, but I can reduce the Nile to poison with one word. And what I want you to see is this, is all three of these things come by obedience rooted in faith. Moses, pick up the snake. Have faith. Trust me, it'll be okay. He does it. Put your hand back in your cloak. It'll be cured. He does it. Moses, fill up the jar with water from the Nile and have faith and obey me. And before it even hits the ground, it will be blood. See, all three of these miracles were designed to point to the great I am. And I think if you're like me, sometimes we sit back and go, man, it would be so much easier if God would give me some sweet signs like that, right? Like if I could just throw something down on the ground and become a snake, or I could do some crazy stuff like that. Well, here's the good news for you and I. He has given us a sign, 
right? The greatest sign was given to us when Jesus rose from the grave defeating Satan, sin, and death. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and a crowd wants him to do something similar to what happened to Moses. They're like, hey, Jesus, be our magician. Do a trick for us. Do a sign on command. And look what Jesus said. Jay read this earlier. But he answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So in other words, the only sign you're getting is that I am going to go to the grave and defeat death, and I have risen again. See, the God who raised Jesus from the dead is with us as believers. That is all the proof that you and I need to go out and to exercise obedience that's rooted in faith. Right? Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent um, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So what if they don't believe me? God gives him three signs. Here's the next objection. I can't speak. Now notice what he does here. This is very important. Right? When he says, oh my Lord, okay, you can, you can underline that if you want. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. What that means is sovereign master. It means the powerful one. It means that you are the God who can do anything you want. Right? So here's Moses. Oh Lord, sovereign, Adonai, master, you can do anything you want. Yeah, I can't speak. And there's been a lot of ink spilt over this trying to figure out what it means, okay? A lot of people think maybe he stuttered. Uh, was he not good at public speaking? Uh, some people think maybe it's been 40 years he's forgotten his Egyptian. He, he doesn't know what he's going to say. Listen, we don't know and we shouldn't speculate. What matters is Moses is doing something that, again, every single person in this room has done at one time or another. He's blaming God for the way he was made. He's saying, I'm not gifted in this area, God. I mean, seriously, this guy over there would be better for it. Like, like if you had just made me like him, then maybe I could go and do this. Maybe if you had just wired me a little bit different, if I was a little bit cooler, if I had more hair, right, or, or I wasn't so goofy looking or so lanky or, or whatever it is, if I could do that, then maybe these people would listen to me share the gospel. As pastors, we do it all the time. Right? Joe and I went to a conference this, this weekend, and it was, it was geared towards small-town pastors, people in rural areas. And one of the things that the main speaker said is that we are guilty of always going, man, if I just had that church's resources, if I just had that church's people, if I just had this, or if I just had that, then God, we could do this, or we could go to the next level, right? We're all guilty at this to some extent. Well, we just stand around and we look at everything that's wrong with us and how much more gifted or talented others are than us, and then we get angry at God saying, well, if you just made me like them, then things would be better. Right? And look what God does. Verse 11, he cuts right through Moses' excuses. He says, oh, hey, yeah, Moses, you, you just called me sovereign Lord, didn't you, right? Adonai, master, I can do anything I want. So don't I make the mouth? I mean, who makes men mute or deaf? Who makes men seeing or blind? Oh, that's right, Moses. I did all that. 
That's me. Right? And I want you to underline verse 11, okay? And I want you to underline it for two reasons. First and foremost is that you and I, right, preaching to the choir, okay? My wife will amen me here, okay? You ready? We should never complain about how we're wired. Ever. God made you the way he wanted you. The gifts, the abilities he gave you are what he gave you. He knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. And if you're a believer, you should rest in that. That your God formed your inward parts while you were in the womb, Psalm 139 tells us. That he made you the way you are. So that means he can use you in different ways than he can use others. Right? Listen, students, right here, right here. That's good news for you guys right now. Right? You can rejoice and rest in the abilities that God has given you. They're God-given. Stop sitting around thinking other students are better than you or they have it better than you. God made you the way he wanted you, okay? And listen, I talk to you guys right now because I think we lose track of this when we're young, all right? I told the junior high students this several weeks ago at the school, is that 98% of the people in America, they are going to grow up, they're going to go to school, graduate, get jobs, settle down, work, raise a family, and listen, be normal, average people. And that is okay. Amen? That is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So rest in that and celebrate that God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. And so maybe you're an adult and you need to hear that as well. God made you the way he made you. He gifted you the way he gifted you. And he wants to use you in ways that he can't use other people. Celebrate that. That's what God's telling Moses. But, but secondly, listen to this. What a pro-life verse. What a pro-life verse that God sees and knows those who are made with disabilities and weaknesses and he loves them. So, so that child that's born with downs, God sees and knows and he loves that child. That, that child that has autism, God sees and he knows and he loves that child. That child that's born with a physical weakness or a neurological weakness, God sees, he knows, he loves that child. He values that child. God wants to use that person. What an amazing verse. I love that verse that speaks to my heart, right? Philip Ryken says this. He says, these rhetorical questions are a reminder that God made us exactly the way he wanted to make us. Who gave us our eyes, our ears, and our mouth? Obviously, God did. If that is the case, then our abilities and even our disabilities are ordained by him. God has equipped us with every talent we need to do his will. He made us the way he made us for his glory. For his glory. Right? That's good news for all of us in this room. Verse 12, God says, so go, Moses. I made you the way I made you. I know exactly what you are. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Moses, I want obedience that's rooted in faith. You trust me. You go. I'll take care of everything else. Right? Notice once again, how is he addressing his low self-esteem? He's not going, come on, buddy. I don't care what your coach says. You're so talented. Right? You can do it, pal. That's not what he's doing. He's going, Moses, you're right. You're a terrible speaker. I've seen you. You can put a room to sleep in a hurry. You're awful. But I'll flow through you. 
You're not able, Moses, but I am. Let's go. It's my power. It's not your power. Your role is obedience rooted in faith. I'll take care of the rest. I can use a lisping, stammering tongue like yours, Moses. Let's get this thing done. Once again, though, verse 13. Our boy's too much like us, isn't he? Look what he says. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So four times, chapter three and four, God said go. Moses has had four excuses. And finally, he's run out of excuses. And finally, we see Moses' true motivation. It's exposed. And what is it? He just flat out doesn't want to do it. He does not want to obey. God's answered all of his objections. He has no excuse anymore. And he just says, I don't want to do it. See, notice what he's done. He's gone from taking his shoes off in chapter three, submitting to God's holiness. But the more God talks, the more he understands what God's asking him to do, the more reluctant Moses has become until he just flat out says no. Now let me encourage you on something. There is a time when it is appropriate to ask the kind of questions that Moses is asking. There is a time when it's appropriate to say, who am I? Who who are you really? Are you who you say you are? Can I trust you to go with me and help me, God? It is appropriate at times to ask those questions. But once we know what God's asking, it's time to stop asking those questions and start obeying. God's asking for obedience that's rooted in faith. That's why God gets angry right there at the end of that chapter. Right? Now, thankfully for you and I, God is slow to anger. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to get angry. We've seen that with Moses, okay? Right? You're on holy ground. Okay, I'll let you speak four times, but now I'm angry. And God doesn't lose his temper. God can't sin. But God is filled with a righteous indignation. He's saying, I've answered all your questions. I've dealt with all your objections. You've refused to obey. And so it's good and right for me to be angry at you now, Moses. But check this out. He's still gracious to him, isn't he? He says, hey, man. Your older brother Aaron, yeah, I know he hadn't seen him in 40 years, but guess what? He can speak, and guess what? He's already on his way to meet you. I'll tell you what to say. You tell Aaron. Aaron will speak it back to Pharaoh for you, right? So here's the good news for us again. Let's remove one more excuse. God has given us brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. If some of you would be honest in here, I bet you could tell me stories of a time that you say, the only reason I'm still walking with the Lord is because I had a brother or sister at one point say, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. I love you. Let's walk through this thing together. Let's pray together. Let me carry you. Let me help you. Let me uh, lift your burdens for you, right? They encouraged you to keep your eyes on the Lord. That is the point of the church, is that God has graciously provided you a local gathering of believers, Okay, this right here, a local gathering of believers to help you remain faithful in your walk with the Lord. That is God's gracious provision to you and I. That is God's sufficiency in providing all these things. It means that we have 
no excuse. So let me ask you this question this morning. Is your relationship with God marked by a desire for obedience? Is it marked by a desire to know and follow Him? Because if we're believers, that is the mark of a believer, is one who bears fruit, one who's being conformed to the image of Christ, one who desires to be obedient to the one who gave his life for us. See, the irony is this, is that a lot of Christians, they really want the power of God in their lives, but they don't want to be obedient to get it. Because the scriptures are clear, the way we see the power of God manifested in our lives is by obedience that's rooted in faith. So what we do is this. We say things all the time like, man, I really want my neighbors, I really want my friends, I really want my family members to come to know and love Jesus. I want them to surrender to him. I want them to be a part of what God's doing at First Baptist Church. And God's up there the whole time going, well, you're going to have to tell them about me. Right? It's not your pastor's job. It's your job. You're wired and gifted the way you are. You're with the people that I put you with so that you can tell them about me. Man, one of the greatest things I heard this weekend at this conference was a pastor in a small town of about 450 people. He said, the thing that I try to get my people to know all the time is this. The Calvary is not coming. Right? Folks, listen. There is no seminary student right now working on his MDiv going, boy, I can't wait to get out of here and go to First Baptist Church Spearman. Man, whoo, middle of nowhere, right? That's where I hope God calls me. That's not an insult, it's the truth. I mean, you end up here because you just kind of want to end up here. The Calvary's not coming, but you know why? Because you're the Calvary. God has said, there's a bunch of people that don't know me. Now go get them. You want to see the power of God? Open your mouth. Tell them about me. I want obedience that's rooted in faith. But what we do is a lot of times this. Oh, man, I, I can't. God, I mean my past. I mean, come on. They know who I am. I've grown up here. They're going to call me a hypocrite. You are. Breathe. Right? That was funny. You are. You are a hypocrite. And if they do, tell them to come down to First Baptist Church. They fit right in. We love it. Okay? Tell them about Jesus. See, when we make those excuses like, oh, they know who I am or they know what I've done, you're allowing your past to define your present and you're being disobedient to what God has called you to do. Right? What about giving? Giving's another one. We always got to bring this up. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, one of the best ways to see where your heart is is look at your budget. I mean, if you have one, most people don't have them anymore. But look at your budget. If you want to know what you really worship, what you really value, look at how you spend your money. You know, and so maybe God's saying, hey, let go of this. Be generous to your church. Be generous to your community. Be generous to your neighbors. Well, God, I can. I mean, I'm going to starve if I start giving my money away. God says, grab it by the tail. Be obedient. I want obedience rooted in faith. I'll take care of that. You just will be obedient to what I've called you to. Maybe it's an area of service in the church or maybe it's a ministry in the community and God's calling you to it and you're worried that, man, I'm going to look foolish or inadequate to fill that role. You may be like Moses going, I don't talk good, God. And God's saying, I know you do. Don't. Don't worry about it. 
I'll be with you and I'll give you the words. Just be obedient. I want obedience that's rooted in faith. See, I don't know what that area is for you. There's a million of them we could go through, right? But what I know is this, is that God is saying, I've shown you mercy in saving you and redeeming you through my son Jesus. Now be obedient to the mission that I've sent you on. First Baptist Spearman, step out and trust me. Here's the thing about Moses. Moses is going to obey. We know that. It's a delayed obedience, which brothers and sisters, delayed obedience is still disobedience, okay? It's a delayed obedience, but he still goes. And that's an encouragement to me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you, because guess what? We're all just like Moses. There are times in our lives as believers where obedience just comes easy, where it's natural, it's not a problem. And then there are other times where we're reluctant, where we want to make excuses. And then there's other times where we'll just flat out say, God, I'm not doing it. And it's at that moment, instead of beating ourselves up or feeling sorry for ourselves because we can't get it together, that we need to stop looking at ourselves and we need to look, uh, lift our eyes up and look to our Savior. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, God promises this to Moses. Listen to this. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. We know that that prophet was Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made like us in every respect except for one. He was without sin. Jesus came to deliver us from our bondage to sin and to set us free from our captivity to death. God told us in Matthew 17 that we are to listen to Jesus. Because whenever we listen to him, we hear the very voice of God. And see, the good news for Moses and the good news for us is that Jesus was ready and willing to do God's will. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, this is Jesus speaking. It says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus agonized over the pains of the cross, but listen, he did not refuse them. He went out and offered his life for the sins of the world. He did not do like Moses and say, Send somebody else. Because Jesus knew there was nobody else. That means that God can now deal with you and I, scared, disobedient believers, as if we've never sinned because of the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is good news for us today. What this does then is it enables us to strive after obedience, to strive after holiness, all the while resting in his grace, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. See, what this section is teaching us is that there is joy and gladness to be found in radical submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So may we be a church that is marked by an obedience that is rooted in faith. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I'm going to ask that uh, our deacons come down this morning. And right now, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Lord's table And what we're going to do is remind ourselves of the fact that although we are disobedient, although we are reluctant at times, that Jesus was obedient for us. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is right now is just to begin to reflect and to begin to think upon um, those areas of your life where maybe God's saying, hey, I want obedience that's rooted in faith.
Maybe there's an area where you need to repent and just say, Father, I'm sorry for disobeying. And then here in a moment as we take the cup and the bread that we would remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. So a couple things as these guys get ready to pass the plate. Is that first and foremost, we believe that this is for the family. This is for believers only. So if you're in this room today and you say, hey, I'm not a Christian. I don't know Jesus. We just ask that you would sit this one out, right? We're not here to judge you. We just believe that this is something that God has given to believers. If you're a guest with us this morning and you know and love Jesus and you say, hey, I'm a brother and sister in the faith, then please come to the table today. We're not denying you that at all. For the rest of us, could we just remember and reflect on the fact that Jesus gave his life for us, that he saved us and he's redeemed us and then he sent us on a mission and that we could be people who are marked by obedience that's rooted in faith. So Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that he was a better Moses. I thank you that Jesus did not say send someone else, but instead Jesus gave his life for us because he knew there was no one else. And so, Father, what that means for me now is that we can rest in the grace of God. So for all those times that we delay our obedience, for all those times that we're reluctant, for all those times that we flat out say no, you say, yeah, but there's grace there, and I love you, and I've forgiven you. Now get back up and continue to pursue me. So may we be people that are rooted in obedience, that's rooted in faith, and that we can be driven by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.